0: Welcome to Force Points to the Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week join Eric Trexler and Erica Pierce to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Always covered in 15 minutes or less. Now, let's get to the point. Hi, and welcome back to To The Point Cybersecurity. This is one of your hosts, Erica and joined, of course, as always, by Eric Trexler. How you doing,
1: Eric? I'm doing great, Erica. Happy to have you back.
0: Well, happy to be back. I know I, I've had to um, miss a, a couple of episodes, but I have to say you've been handling it. So um, I, I might—I don't want to lose my job, but uh, you've been doing a great job without me.
1: <laughs> Erica, I feel lonely. I feel like a piece of me is just missing when you're not here. I'm happy to have you back. Well,
0: I'm back. So we have a great guest today. We have Toby Ryan of Forcepoint, who is the VP of Analytics Eng- Engineering. Sorry about that. How you doing, Toby? And thanks for being on the podcast. Good.
1: good
2: how are you thanks for having me good.
1: toby is the scientist of scientists in in the organization really making the products do what what crazy people including tony uh toby excuse me uh uh think up dream up as as the art of the possible it's he's, he's like his he and his team deliver the capability it's great Well, I was going to say
0: with a title like that, obviously you're, you're very smart. (laughs) So we're excited to have this conversation with you today and learn a little bit more. Um, So let's start here. So, you know, we always do a little prep before the podcast and we were talking about Toby, how a lot of your focus is um, building technology and, and understanding how it interacts um, just with 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 the human mind. And I know that's been um, it's been a common theme that we've had throughout the, the podcast. And, um, you know, if you look with anyone who heard a few episodes ago, maybe about, I don't know, uh, six or seven episodes ago, I. Um, I was talking about how I actually clicked on a, a phishing email, even though I co-host a cybersecurity podcast. Oh, we're going back to that again. <laughs> and, Which one? Which one? And we don't no need for the details, but you know, and it's funny because um, something came up at the organization that I work with um, most recently, where we were changing sort of the marketing platform for our internal emails, and a couple of folks within the organization were um, hesitant to click on them because they said, you know, we've been taught that when it looks different than what we've seen. We should not click. And so we're, it's good. funny, be, which is good, right? It means the training is working, but it, now we're trying to actually t- you know, tell them, but we've, we want you to click even though it looks different. And so it's trying to figure out, you know, how do you, um, you know, I, I don't know, change that mindset, but also keep the right mindset, especially when you're thinking about it from a technology and security standpoint. So Toby, that was my <laughs> long way of asking you. I mean, how do you approach those types of things, especially when it comes to, you know, just your very basic phishing emails, which we've all seen, and as humans, some of us, I'm sure it's maybe a 50-50, don't know the percentage that we we want to click. Some of us are hesitant to click. Um, How do you navigate that, especially when you're thinking about, you know, new products and services to enhance security?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that you bring up phishing as an example. You know, I think a lot of the major reports out there um, on on sort of the state of cybersecurity show that phishing is still absolutely the number one, you know, threat and intrusion factor Because it works. Yeah, it works. And it's it's well over 90% if you average most of those reports together. So nine out of every 10 attacks starts with spear phishing or phishing um, because it works. But yet, you know, conversely, there is a huge part of the cybersecurity industry that's devoted to stopping phishing uh, through, you know, edge, uh, type defensive, uh, devices. So if, if you think about the path of a phishing email, it has to go through firewalls. It has to go through web security it has to go through email, AB, uh, proxy, all kinds of things.
1: We call then, this millions of dollars of product, <laughs>
2: yeah. right? Absolutely. And it, yet it still gets through and advanced persistent threats are very, very good at it. And so the idea is how do you detect that? Well, you have to look at the behavior of what happens when you click on a phishing email, sort of the, you know, if you remember back in the eighties, and the nineties, the detection methodology was very signature based. Hey, if you see a and a is bad, then, then fire an alert, we've moved forward um, to the point where we understand that uh, both humans and devices exhibit behavior. And in order for a phishing email to be successful, uh, you know, uh, let's say that you're an enterprise user of Outlook, like most organizations are. Outlook has to do something. Mm-hmm. If malware doesn't magically execute. So Outlook has to open something. Well, if Outlook spawns, you know, PowerShell, that's usually really bad, right? But if, if, if Outlook uh, opens up Adobe because there's a PDF attachment, that's fairly normal, um, but the behavior of malware is very distinct and you can't detect that through one signature. It's a pattern of, first of all, what looks normal, right? When you click, you, we don't want to alert every time someone clicks on a PDF. So if someone clicks on a PDF and Adobe uh, you know, spins up and it does something, that's very normal. But if you click on that PDF and Adobe spawns PowerShell, that's a problem, that's not really Adobe. And so you detect that through a pattern of behavior Uh, But you have to know what the pattern of normal looks like. And what's interesting about that is that's not a statistical shot in the dark or some kind of machine learning. Um, It's actually quite quite basic. It's this is what a computer does when when you click on an attachment. When you understand um, what happens when you click on an attachment, you're able to understand what's normal and what's not. You can use some of those methods as supporting... Uh, you know detection methodologies. For example, if it spawns a process you've never seen before in your environment, that's an outlier. That weights it more heavily. But at the very core of it, it's actually much simpler than I think the cybersecurity industry makes it out to be.
1: But Toby, if I'm a developer, I'm using PowerShell quite frequently. What you're saying here is it's really the, the, the application outlook that, that gives you the tipper, if you will, that something's probably not right.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And again, that comes from sort of, and I think that's one thing that that I like a lot about Forcepoint is I, myself and a lot of people on my team are dedicated to understanding what you know. I, I our our company motto, you know, free the good, stop the bad. Right. We don't want to get into the scenario where we're alerting every time a developer uses PowerShell. That's that's mm-hmm. sort of the old school. Like we, it's we're just going to create this engine that finds bad stuff, and we don't you know, necessarily care about delineating how bad or false positive.
1: That's kind of I basic rule based analysis, right? If X, exactly. if if X happens, do Y or alert or whatever behavior, you know. But it's exactly. it's really dumb logic.
2: It is. <laughs> Um, and the idea is to chain these patterns together. And, I, you know, I have researchers working on this. You know, they, we, we send emails to each other with attachments that, that aren't malware, but they exhibit different behaviors so we can test and understand what normal looks like. Um, oh, really? Had, that's interesting
0: to know. Okay.
2: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's the best way to, to do these things. Um, and so the idea is if a developer is using PowerShell, we have to understand how often and how regularly and what they're using it for. Well, to do that, we have to have an understanding of what PowerShell is and does. It's a built-in Windows tool that administrators often take advantage of and Microsoft promotes heavily for a good reason. However, it's also one of the number one, uh, what they call LOL attacks, living off the land, where hackers use tools that come with Windows to, there's no need to write custom malware when you can use right. what Windows already gives
1: you. Well, and they and know it'll so, be there so they know they can leverage it. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely. It's true. So we have to delineate between normal PowerShell usage and abnormal. Well, how do you do that? That really comes back to understanding the detection value of your data. Um, you can throw in a thousand data sources But understanding what in those data sources and what data sources in general lead to higher quality detections uh, is, is the most important thing. A lot of, you know, there are only a finite number of PowerShell logs that will give you the information you need and they're incredibly noisy. So you have to further, you know, get that to a smaller number for this to be effective. That's work that is really is really understanding the problem. And that's work that I find that as, as if you call cybersecurity part of IT, there's sort of the fear of the manual and no one wants to really dig in and understand behavior, understand intent, and yet that's what's required. I, I could build a dumb statistical engine it tells you every time PowerShell is used, but then that's just going to cause analysts to have to deal with a lot of false positives. Well,
1: you might as well just remove PowerShell from the from the uh, environment, right?
2: Right. And that's not, of course, going to go over well at any enterprise because m- most use it let so l- Well, let me they, let me ask they ask find it, a
0: workaround, later. right? That's what we've talked about before is that when you do things like that, then people will always find a way to work around it, which is not good for the, the for the
1: environment as well. Exactly. exactly. Yep. So Toby, when I meet with customers, especially around these topics, the most frequent request I get is, I'm going to, how many data sources can you collect from? Um, I, I have a ton of data in my data lake. I I look at it more like a dumpster, but that's OK. We have massive amounts of data. I I need someone to help me sort through it. I mean, I hear this over and over and over again. The the problem I tend to have is it's really difficult to get IT or security professionals to articulate what behaviors or problems they're trying to identify and stop. Like, what, what problem are you trying to solve for here? And because many times from my work with you and the team, it could be a simple rule or or two data sets, you know, two, two data sources, where we can clearly tie into whatever they're trying to accomplish, yet they want to feed 85 data sources into the system and just throw it all in there and and, and somehow magically shake it up like an eight ball and, and have the answer come out. Why is that?
2: I think there's a couple reasons for it. And there's probably the main reason is the fear of missing something. Uh, okay. so, you know, you want to put in as much as you can thinking that sheer quantity will solve your problem. Um, I think the other part of it is, is understanding. I mean, this gets back to, I, I, almost, what I was just talking about is that in order to understand the value of your data, you have to look at it piece by piece, field by field. That's an intensive process. And, you know, as a former incident responder, like that's what we had to do. Is we had to dig through logs and understand um, what these things meant. And so I don't think a lot of companies really know what's in that data. And and that's where we come in. Um, is okay. Um, let's say you're giving me Windows event security logs.
1: Well, always going to request for that. That and feed all email into this. every. Yeah, as basics. Right. It's one
2: of the most verbose logs out there, especially if you combine the host base with the network base from the domain controllers. You get millions and millions of logs per hour. So, okay, well, there's a lot of things we can do. You know, there are certain Windows event security codes that are more valuable than others, even within an individual log, which could be anywhere, you know, from you know 15 fields to 50 fields. Even within that log, there's only certain maybe five or 10 fields that we actually need. So we can get rid of a lot of this data that's not contributing to detections. And it makes everything more efficient, faster systems, less hardware, all done in a productized sort of pipeline uh, when you bring in this data. But the idea is to say, okay, for this data source, what can I detect? And, and there's two ways to approach this. And, and I, I don't know really which one I prefer more. They're both valuable for different reasons. But you can either say, here's data source A, Windows Event Security Logs. What can I detect from this data source? Well, I can I can look at a lot of pass the hash, lateral movement, um, first time logins to new servers, all kinds of interesting things. You can tie a lot of those together and chain them into detections. Or you can start with I'd like to detect lateral movement in my environment. How would I do that? Well, you could use Windows Event Security Log. So whether you start with the use case and get down to the data source you need, or you start with the data source and move up to the use cases you want to solve for, either way gets you to the detection value of the data. Because even within, you, know, let, you know, let's just say that there's well over 100 to 200 Windows Event Security codes maybe only 10 or 15 of those contribute to a, a lateral movement pattern. Uh, you know, and also whether you're getting them from the host or from the domain controllers matters a lot. Um, so I would say, don't throw in a thousand data sources. You know, One, I mean, that's ultimately what a lot of what my team does is is understanding this detection value. Um, but the more you understand about it, the because the, you're gonna pay for all that compute. Compute's not free, even in the cloud. Um, You can't, you can't just throw in a thousand sources and expect to, I I think, you know, we were talking earlier about this, Eric, about sort of the ROI on detection science and what value are you getting of all of those logs for the detections that are coming out of it? And that's the equation that I'm trying to optimize.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. We, you know, when you and I've spoken in the past, one one of the main things that stuck out in our discussions, in my mind at least, was there, there are a couple of components that really determine which indicator or detection methodology you use or or when you choose to use it. and And it's really mathematical complexity, as I recall, fidelity of the data source, and then the difficulty level of implementing. Um, And that really opened my eyes. Like, you know, we we talk about machine learning, we talk about artificial intelligence, but some of that's really hard and really not needed, depending on what we're trying to solve for.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, You you hit on my you hit on my soft spot there, you know, as mine now, too, I guess. Right. As a as a as a data scientist by trade, um, it, it makes me cringe when I I see all the hype surrounding machine learning. Um, It's valuable as a supporting cast member. It's valuable in aiding towards detections. But we're not yet advanced enough as an industry to just throw stuff at machine learning and expect to have high fidelity answers come out. The very definition of machine learning is function approximation. Mathematically, it's function approximation. And the key word in there, if you know nothing about math, Is approximation. And so if you're telling an analyst, hey, maybe this is bad, maybe it's not, you're sort of not, you know, you're not making that analyst very happy. So you have to look at using all of the methodologies available. You can detect some wonderful things with simple rules. If a new ransomware hash comes out, you just take that hash and make sure you're not seeing it anywhere. That's, you know, AV at its basic self. And there's nothing wrong with that. As you move up the continuum, you start looking at at pattern recognition. You know, like we talked about in the phishing example, clicking on an email attachment is perfectly good. However, what that attachment does after that, that determines whether or not it's malicious moving forward. And we don't want to fire on anything until we know it's, it's pretty much malicious. As you move up and you get into things like anomaly detection or novelty detection, those are methodologies based on certain types of statistical distributions of which you hardly ever find in an enterprise dumpster fire environment. And for all the analysts out there, they know what I'm talking about. When they look and something is supposed to be normal, and yet it's completely not, and something that's supposed to not be normal is completely normal, there's no way that an enterprise network exhibits any type of normal behavior um, and so using a lot of those anomaly detection techniques are very, very difficult to get right. They're very easy to implement. They're just very difficult to get right. So you want to use it appropriately and pragmatically. That's the problem, is I want to solve for the 95% that I can catch and see with a medium level of complexity. And then I'm going to move to that 5%. Um, and I think as an industry, I think everyone's chasing the 5%, the shiny-
1: AI, machine learning part. Um, I mean, and I- Erica, that's all we hear about, right? Artificial well, intelligence. Yeah,
0: I, Well, it's funny because I was my next question. And I, I know we don't have too much time left um, was, you know, you're, you're, you said that we're not advanced enough um, to, you know, sort of throw everything at machine learning or AI. And we've had a lot of episodes on that, but do you see that though in the future um, being a, a, a true component of, of, of the security industry? Um, or do you think it to your point that we should just really stick to applying these simple rules because you, will never be able to get, um, I, I guess, to the place where you could truly have by, um, by probably what's the wrong definition, <laughs> given that you just get, give it, gave us the true one, um, of what machine learning and, and AI is, is supposed to in theory do or what it aspires to do.
2: Yeah, you know, I think we're going to get better at it. And I think we're going to get better at it by looking at it and realizing what it is and acknowledging that it's a supporting cast member in reality. Uh, It will give you very good answers. It's just whether or not those answers stand alone by themselves as being sufficient to call out a detection as something that's a true detection. Um, You know, I think uh, I certainly love the application of machine learning Uh, as a contributing observable into a detection pattern. But I can't think of anything that we have that says we're just going to leave it to the machine to figure this out and tell us yes or no. Uh,
1: And when you say we, you mean the industry.
2: Yeah, the industry. Absolutely. Yeah. Here
1: you go, machine. Uh, We just feed it in and get the right answers back.
2: Yeah. And I think what you saw uh, at the beginning of this hype about five to eight years ago in that time frame when the hype was really starting to... To enter the hype cycle was that was the expectation. And that's just not reality. Now, the reality is it's very important. I, I don't want to go back to the early 90s where it's just simple rules. I wanna I wanna combine the best of all worlds. I wanna say, hey, I have simple rule A, complex rule B, and machine learning classification C. And I want to take A, B, and C and make detection D. Now that is absolutely where I think the future is. That's certainly what we're trying to do. I feel that's cutting edge. It's taking all of the best things. And by the way, that covers a lot of the data sources that you see in the cybersecurity world. You can get those things from all those data sources. I think that's where it's going. And it's not that the focus is on AI machine learning, it's the application and how it relates to a greater cybersecurity detection. That's, I just think I think it's good science. I just think it's being
1: misused. It's amazing because all of my customers are talking about AI, <laughs> talking about machine learning. That's where they're spending their money. That's the solution for the future. And, you know, like you, Toby, I was, I was in the military. I was in the army. I, I keep going back to the KISS principle. I, I mean, I was an but, infantryman. I don't know. Keep it simple. But, it served right. me so well over my lifetime. Like we aren't Ooh. even getting the basics I, right in this I, industry. I think everyone's
0: watching a lot of Black Mirror, so we just want the answer to everything to be machine <laughs> you think learning. That's it? Yeah. <laughs> Look, even our emails now on Gmail are, are using uh, you know things like machine learning. So I think that's what people, everyone thinks across every industry, it's the answer. I believe so.
1: I don't know. I feel I just, like as soon as the machine learns something, or yeah, I, I don't know. I just. You know, the adversary shifts and all of a sudden the models have to change, right? Right. The baseline has to be able to react and there's a lag factor, even in the best of of models that I've seen in practice. Just, we're not there yet.
2: You know, if you think about it, what's interesting is if you go back to like the the genesis of AI, uh, you know, up at Dartmouth College, you know, uh, people like Claude Shannon get together, like how do we make a machine stink like a human? And that's been the challenge ever since you know, that happened, and until you can replicate completely the mind of an attacker or an insider threat, I don't think you're going to be able to achieve what the true definition of AI is. I think we'll get part of the way there with some machine learning techniques, but The challenge has always been to replicate the human brain. And I think we all know how hard that is. And you just said it. When the adversary changes tactics, is the algorithm smart enough to change with it? Now, I'm a huge proponent of a human coming in and interacting with the machine learning algorithm to make it better. Agreed. Like a reinforcement kind of way. Now, that's great. Now, that's very powerful, right? But if you just expect the machine to do it, it's not going to happen. Eric, a question
1: for you. You're a semi-complex individual. Do you think a machine's ever going to figure out what you're going to do next?
0: Uh, good, good question. Uh, well, and would
1: that be a good thing?
0: Well, you know, sometimes I, I, I don't know. I, well, I'll be honest. I am someone that actually does watch a lot of Black Mirror, and I do think those scenarios where you see the abilities for you know a machine to anticipate your thinking, where you're going, you know, taking something that's on your mind and it just you know you automatically have ordered it from Amazon without having to open your computer and things like that. I mean, I think it sounds in- a little scary, but it's an- it's an interesting concept. Um, but I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, there's look, who would have thought that we would have been using things like Uber 20 years ago? So you never know what we may rely on machines for 20 years from now.
1: You know, I'm always taken back to a conversation I had with Steve Grobman, CTO at McAfee. You know, we, we were talking about the difference in machine learning and, and how, how scientists can predict where hurricanes are going to land with relatively high accuracy. You take a different type of meteorological event, though, like an earthquake, and despite the best of science today, we still can't predict. I mean, we can see signs. We know that activity is happening, but we don't know when that earthquake is going to strike and, and more importantly, where it's going to strike, unlike a hurricane. So there, there are certain things where the, the mathematics, the models, the science can absolutely apply but hey, i think you. there are many others where they're as complex as you and i erica and
0: i, I <laughs> don't know <laughs> what are we having for
1: dinner tonight i don't know that the machine can predict that. Just hey, that
0: hey i'll take it if a machine can predict it and cook it and deliver it
1: so <laughs> I just I'd, I'd love to just have it make it right <laughs> yeah, exactly how do we get to the machines cooking and delivering dinner as opposed to figuring out what we're going to have for dinner you know what? When that
2: happens, let me know
1: because I'll sign up for
0: that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's have it, an offline conversation, of the, patent pending. Uh-
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, that's your ne- yeah. next, yeah. next pass biggest... for your, your uh, next uh, doctoral degree yeah. here.
2: <laughs> it's usually one of the hottest debate topics in my house uh, when the afternoon rolls around is what's for dinner. So <laughs> it would be very valuable. Right. <laughs> if
1: just Turn the uh, AI machine on and he or she could say – the Ryan family, tonight you will be having string beans with etc., etc., etc. Wouldn't that be great?
2: Well, it, well,
0: well to be stress. honest, it, it, it is what happened on the Jetsons. That's the way it worked.
2: <laughs> Didn't they have flying cars too, though? They I mean, did. Are, are they, we away from that? They did.
1: <laughs> now, Toby, you're the scientist here. You tell us.
2: I, You know, it's so funny. You want to talk about predictive analytics, Eric. Um, So as I'm sitting there, uh, when I was taking notes uh, to talk about this podcast, I said, what Eric's talking about is kiss. Right. Because also as a former infantryman, I'm like, this is just keep it simple, stupid. And so it's funny that you brought that up uh, as I was writing it down in my notes without telling you. So uh, I'm one for one so far.
1: Maybe we're both simple.
2: Uh, Hey, I'm I'm okay with that. (laughs)
0: Well, Toby, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was um, quite a, it was a very insightful conversation. And I I think you've given us a lot to think about, especially as we do think to uh, do and look to the future, especially, you know, it's kind of this reflecting time of year. So thank you very much.
2: Yeah, of course. Anytime. Thank you for having me. Toby, it was fun. Yeah.
0: Well, and thanks to all our listeners out there. Please continue to uh, tune in every week to To The Point Cybersecurity. Subscribe on iTunes or whatever uh, uh, podcast platform is your choice and give us a rating and also let us know what you want to hear us talk about. So until next time, thank you. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint, for more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.